Well, that's our new series, and it will lead us to Easter. And I'm glad you're here today. I'm always glad that you're here, especially when we began a new series. And last week, I wasn't here. I was in Nashville with my youngest, and we were driving back a week ago as John Wood brought the word. Didn't he do great? If you were here, I mean, John Wood is a preacher, and John preached from 1 John, and he quoted John Calvin and John Piper and Puritan John Newton. And it was an awesome, I listened to it on the, listened to the podcast on the drive home from Nashville. It was really cool. My 14-year-old son and I, I don't know if you could do this, but we drove straight from Nashville to Jackson without stopping, not once. And so we rolled into town with a full full bladders and an empty gas tank, and it was awesome. Could y'all do that, or is it just a great accomplishment on my part? Okay, great, yeah. But anyway, it, isn't it good that we've got other guys that can bring the word around here? I mean, that's a great, great thing. No, it's not. It's actually not. Well, I wanted you to chant, we want you. We want you. That's the way I was playing that out in my mind. Hey, turn to Matthew chapter 7, just as uh, in our previous sermon series, Battle Ready, we walked through Ephesians. We're going to be looking at some places in the Gospel of Matthew all the way to Easter. And let me say one thing about Easter. We want to point you to the weekend and get you to begin thinking about investing in people around you, neighbors, friends, family, co-workers, and invite them to worship with us on Easter Sunday, but also Easter weekend. For the first time ever, we're going to have a Good Friday service. That'll be in here at 7 o'clock. I heard someone down front say, awesome, and I, we hope it will be, and it's going to be a time for us to remember and to reflect. We'll probably be dismissed um, in with a discipline of silence. We will, before we celebrate the greatest moment in human history, we'll observe the darkest. And we just hope it'll be a beautiful um, worship experience and a great weekend um, as we do that. Matthew chapter 7, our series, as you saw as a doubter's guide to Jesus, we'll be looking at Jesus as teacher, as healer, as judge, as friend. That is friend of sinners, aren't you glad? And as our Savior. Today, this weekend, Matthew 7, Jesus as teacher. Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29 When Jesus finished these sayings, does anybody know what sayings? Chock full of sayings, but I saw Tim's lips there. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus had just delivered the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were, here we go, astonished at what? Astonished at his teaching, for he was what? Teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Keep that up if you would. When Jesus had finished these sayings, there's something about Matthew I noticed in my reading this week. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, and when Jesus had finished these sayings. Matthew 19 and verse 1, and when Jesus had finished these sayings. Matthew 26 and verse 1, and when Jesus had finished these sayings. Matthew 13 and verse 53, when Jesus had finished these sayings. And here for the fifth time, Matthew 7, and when Jesus had finished these sayings. You would think, hey, the sermon's over, he's reached his conclusion, it's done. But Matthew includes this phrase that I think is important. And I think one of the realities that it points out to us is that when Jesus preaches, when he teaches, something happens. Something happens after he preaches. We know in our day a lot about the Sermon on the Mount. Many of you do. Even people that are curious or even skeptical a little bit. We know this great stretch of teaching uh, in the Scripture where Jesus talks about salt and light. He talks about lust and adultery, murder um, and revenge and anger. He, He talks about the straight and the narrow, the foolish builder and the wise builder. He talks about secrets and rewards, money and worry, and he knows what penetrates the human heart. I was thinking this week as I was preparing this and thinking of Jesus the teacher and thinking about how um, his teachings in 
the ancient Mediterranean world, first century Palestine, have become part of proverbial English in our day. Have you ever thought about that? Love thy neighbor, cast the first stone, go the extra mile, the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, sheep in wolves' clothing, the blind leading the blind. Uh, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Um, I was at a TED Talk a couple of months ago in Jackson here at the Civil Rights Museum, and I heard someone say, as John F. Kennedy said, the, the one who's been given much is uh, required, much is required. And I'm like, uh, that, actually, Jesus said that. If you have tape of John F. Kennedy not citing his source, then that's a problem. But it was Jesus who said that in his sayings time and time again uniquely uh, give us so many of our proverbial English phrases. It's really quite remarkable. Jesus taught like no other. Jesus told stories, he asked questions, and he used object lessons. Think about Jesus as a storyteller. Think of the prodigal son. Jesus could have easily said, hey, if you wander far away from God, he'll welcome you back when you return. But instead, he told the story of a young man who disowns his family, goes and squanders the inheritance, ends up, after partying and pleasure, he ends up in a pigsty. He's at the end of himself. When he comes to his senses, he journeys back home to beg for mercy. And a father there, surprisingly, a father is there who's been waiting on the daily, there with welcome arms. Jesus told stories. Jesus asked questions. A couple of years ago, we did an entire sermon series called The Questions That Jesus Asked. There are too many to do a, a sermon series, but we tackled six to seven of those a couple of summers ago. Here's one for you today. Jesus, the question asker, what good is it if someone gains the whole world but forfeits their own soul? Jesus told stories. Jesus asked questions. And Jesus used object lessons. He washed feet when he talked about servanthood. He called forth the child and put the child in front of him when he talked about simple faith. He observed a widow placing two small coins into the temple treasury to talk about the importance of sacrificial giving. I'm sure when he was talking about sowers of seed, he was standing next to a field. Jesus, the master teacher, he told stories, he asked questions, and he used objects of reference from daily life so that people could connect with it. And deeper than this, I want to tell you that Jesus, he sees. Jesus sees into the human heart. Consider this passage here, John chapter 2, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, the crowds. Why? For he, here we go, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind. Here we go again, for he knew what was in each person. I was at a restaurant last night, saw a guy with a shirt on. It, it said, please cancel my subscription to your issues. Isn't that good? Isn't that human? Isn't that human? Like, I love you. You got issues. I love you. I don't love your issues, but your issues are so great. You know what? I'm out. I'm withdrawing my love because you have issues. And in Jesus, 
in the teacher, the healer, the judge, the friend, the savior, we see someone who never says to us, cancel my subscription. In fact, to a woman at a well in John 4, it went this way. He, Jesus knows, he sees our outward prejudice. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Do you realize how provocative and shocking Jesus was when he showed up on the scene? We see in Matthew 19 this story of the rich young ruler. Jesus knew not only the outward prejudice of humanity, he knew the inward greed, the lust, the lesser loves. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus knows what's in the hearts. He sees it. Now It says here in Matthew 7, if you have a Bible open, uh, I want to ask you, Somebody shout out if you, if you can find this. But what, what does the scripture say in Matthew 7? They were astonished at what specifically? They were astonished what? At his creativity, at his humor, at his rhetoric, at his logic, at his debate skills, his education. What were they astonished at, amazed at? Say it out loud. At his teaching, and I heard it over here, his authority. His teaching that was authoritative. Very important. In the Gospels. Very important when Jesus arrived on the scene. Look what else Matthew says in his narratives. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has what? Authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Let me just say, if you teach and you heal people, you're a really good teacher. Like that's a good, that's a good day, right? I mean, if you, that just raised the effectiveness of your teaching if you teach and you heal. Then the man got up and he went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such, what? Authority to man. Now, authority doesn't come from voice, volume, or personality. Authority comes from confidence in what you're saying is true. You ever, do you have any experience speaking in public? It's, it can be kind of terrifying. Have you ever spoken in public and you didn't really believe what you were saying or know what you're saying? You wasn't that prepared. You weren't confident in the material. Is that like the worst sinking feeling in the world? Like you are naked and alone up there and you just, you're, you don't have any credibility. You don't have any authority. And authority, not about volume, voice, not about personality. It's about confidence in what you're saying is true. And here we see in Jesus, we see that very reality, unlike any before him, unlike any sense. He had confidence, not only in the source of truth, but the fact that the truth was pointing to him. Other people were pointing things out. He was saying, I am the point. For offering to forgive sins, demonstrating uh, healing as he healed people around him. And this gave him that authority. In colonial America, there was an Englishman that came over uh, to, to study, uh, to st I'm sorry, to teach and to preach. He was an itinerant preacher. He didn't have a home church. Sometimes I think that sounds like a good idea. But he just would travel and he would preach and he brought the thunder. This man is George Whitfield. I don't know if any of you studied him. But this Englishman came to colonial America. And if it was today, he would be on the cover of People and probably Time. And he would be on the talk shows like 60 Minutes and Good Morning America. This guy had a claim. He had a fame. People were driving places to be there to hear him preach. He, of course, was preaching Jesus and pointing people to the authoritative teacher, Savior, Jesus. Ben Franklin, you know from your history books, not a person 
of faith. He struggled. He didn't believe. And in his autobiography, he tells the story of George Whitfield, how Franklin would love to go see him preach. And one time someone asked him, why are you going to hear Whitfield preach? You don't believe a word of it. And Franklin responded, I don't, but he does. It's powerful when you have confidence in what you're saying to be true. And this is what we see in this man, Jesus. Confident that what he was saying is true. Now notice the contrast. You still have your Bibles open to Matthew 7. They were astonished. They were amazed at his authoritative teaching. And he taught them what? Not as the scribes. Now, that begs the question that everyone should know uh, before leaving today. Who was a scribe? The scribes, they had a long life, long legacy uh, in the nation of Israel. They were people of means, people of education. They were teachers of the law. They studied the law. They taught the law. They transcribed the law. They would look at lower course rulings and legal precedent and would at times influence the Sanhedrin, sort of the Supreme Court of the day. That was who these scribes were to Suffice it to say that they, they loved the law, they were serious about the law, they were serious about their religion, but, hear me now, they missed the forest for the trees. Now hear me, you ever been involved in a place, place of worship, or a group of people, religious institution, maybe a church where there were songs, there were sermons, there was activity, there were things on the calendar, but there wasn't a point. There wasn't a purpose. There wasn't a fiery passion. It wasn't about the gospel. Oh, they were serious about it. Oh, they had, they had laws. And in Jesus' day, these men, they were always men. They had laws, you know, typical things about how fast you can ride your camel through the school zone. But they had other laws, and they added on chiefly, you know, the Ten Commandments. And some of you know this, there were 16 613 more laws, additional laws. Doesn't that weigh on you? Isn't that too much? And that's who the scribes were. And Jesus taught differently than them. You see, they didn't have authority. They didn't have authority. They missed it. They were always trying to point out different laws. And Jesus is saying, here's the point. And this is what set him apart. It was a rabbinic tradition of the day that rabbis would quote other rabbis. They would gain their authority by quoting peers or in more particularly, people that went before them. They would say, your rabbi Gamaliel said this and blah, blah. You know, they would quote other guys to give them authority. You know what? Jesus, the teacher, never did that. We, we do have recorded for us where Jesus, his first public ministry, anybody know this? He read from the scroll. And so he quoted the prophet Isaiah. But Jesus never quoted from other rabbis. Instead, each and every time, he would say things like, truly, truly, I say to you. Listen to the emphasis. Truly, truly, I say to you. I ain't quoting anybody. I don't need to quote anybody. I created the cosmos. I understand the the intricacies, the design and fabrication of the human psyche. I designed, I understand it. I understand what's happening inside of you. And I speak with this authority. I heal. I forgive sins. He's pointing people to himself. And he speaks with authority, unlike any other. Confidence that what he's saying is true. 
This morning, I want to point you, uh, as we sort of move toward uh, third base, I want to point you to two things that are compelling from Scripture about Jesus the teacher that draw me to him, that have drawn me to him um, in, in my life, in my days. The first is the, this reality that Jesus and his teaching, he promises to deliver rest for the weary. To deliver rest for the weary. You get worn out chasing a toddler, caring for an aging parent, dealing with a divorce or loss or bankruptcy. You get worn out just trying to keep the paycheck rolling in and lives rolling on. We can be a worn out people. I want to share with you this morning, I did it at the 930. I want to share with you my least favorite verse in the Bible. Is that blasphemous? Is that sacrilege? Are you going to email me later? Here's my least favorite verse in all the Bible. Do not love sleep or you will grow poor. Stay woke and you will have food to spare. Now, look, I want to be honest with you. I don't love sleep because the Bible's against it, but I like it a lot. I like to sleep. Anybody with me? Like, I, if, if I don't, just, I'm going to say something to everybody, even in the balcony, y'all say amen when I'm done saying it because it's true. Just trust me, all right? All right. If I don't sleep well, I don't live well. Isn't it true? If I don't sleep well, I don't live well. But there's a greater passage. It's one of my favorites. Proverbs also on sleep. Proverbs 3, 24. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Sleep is a wonderful gift. And it's rare among men and women today. Amen. But what a gift it is. But it's greater than sleep. Greater than sleep is rest. And hear me now, because this is what we have trouble with. When These are verbs that we struggle with. When we rest, God works. God created it all in six days. And on the seventh day, He rested. And some of you live, I can see it on you now, you live like God retired. He keeps on resting. He handed us the keys And he retired and he's collecting some sort of social security check every month. And can I tell you the story of Jesus in the person of Jesus is that God is still working and we can rest. We're still in Matthew, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Do you know it? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, that was a week. I will give you, take my yoke and upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls that's the deepest part of you even better than a good night's sleep for my yoke is easy these are this is a different economy here than what we have Chris Jordan y'all got some yoke and oxen over there right outside your door don't you most of us don't for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is promising us something really deep here. He's teaching us what? Here's the thing. He's teaching us not that we would occasionally visit a religious institution in a modern day and sing a few songs and uh, listen to a sermon and go uh, as if we've listened to some moral motivation or ethical instruction. He wants us to learn from him, that we would sit at the feet of a master teacher. And the result of that is you can rest because he's at work. Have you seen God work in your life? What's he doing? What can he do? He desires to teach you. 
so that you would learn to have rest. This is something Susan and I are passionate about now. And there are times when I've looked at some staff here that I love. I'm counting on them. We're counting on them. And I've seen them weary and burdened. And I can look in the mirror at times and see it in me. And I see it in some ministers that I know. And I'm telling people and reminding myself that we're not at times good commercials for Jesus. Show you a picture. You recognize this. This is Central Park. In the middle of skyscrapers and squalling noises and honking taxis, here's uh, 853 acres of lush parkland. 40 million people every year spread out a picnic blanket or throw frisbee with their dog or go for a run or leisure, a leisurely stroll along the trails that are shaded with these wonderful trees. A little research found out that there are, Central Park has 9,000 park benches. So in all the activity, if you, if you guesstimate on picnic blankets and park benches, you could probably reasonably say that the greatest activity in Central Park is non-activity. I just need to sit down. I guess if you rode the subway and lived in Manhattan, you'd probably need some green space, right? You'd need to get away, but so do we. And I believe God has given us, I believe he gave us a central park that ultimately points us today to Jesus. But right in the middle, just like this is in the middle of Manhattan, there's a central park right in the middle of the Bible, smack dab in the middle. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. There are green pastures, there are still waters. He restores my soul. He gives me deep abiding spiritual rest. Do you know what that verse means? He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know what that means? It means he, he makes you lie down. It means God loves you so much. There's going to be times in your life where he's going to make you lie down. I would rather submit. I would rather bend the knee. I'd rather make it a regular practice to say, you know what, God? I'm going to rest and I trust you to work. And I want you to minister to my soul and I want to learn from you. God wants to give us, he wants to give us rest. It's what he desires. Another great gift that the teacher gives is rest for weary souls, number one. But he also gives us truth to replace the lies that are working overtime up here. Uh, you guys believe any lies? You guys hear any lies? Just touch your temples if you got some issues up here, right? Just do what I'm doing right now. Like there are some, y'all are like, I'm not going to do this. It's a cult. <laughs> Come on, somebody, do it. we'll get out early. We'll get out on time if you do this, right? You, you believe in some lies. Yeah, some of you are like, I hate you, Robert. I really can't believe Right now, let's do some eggnog. Um, look, there's things, there are voices, and it's wreaking havoc on some folks today. I think it's getting worse in our day. When you were little, did you, your mom ever tell you, did she ever tell you, don't go swimming until 30 minutes after you've eaten? Your mom would tell you that? Why? What'd she say? What was the reasoning? Because you would cramp and likely drown. Did your mama tell you, don't, if you're chewing gum, don't swallow the chewing gum or it'll stay in your digestive system for up to seven years. Anybody's mama told her that? 
When I was little, I had a, we didn't have a flat screen. We had a fat screen. And the TV just sat in the middle of the floor, right? And it was one. It was like great for family time. There were three channels. They hardly ever worked, but we would just walk in. And, and my mom would tell me at times, always my mom, don't stare too close at the screen, right? Because what? You're going, your eyes are going. Isn't it funny now today, all the kids are like. And we were, we were like, this was too much, right? Mom would tell me, step back, because it would ruin, it'd ruin my eyesight. Can I just say there's no scientific research on any of those? In fact, all of them are not true. I don't know how else to say it. There's no nice way to say this. Just look at me. Your mama lied to you. Right? <laughs> Do you know that people believe that the earth was flat? And some people believe that the earth was flat, that they would not go out far in the ocean for fear of falling off the edge. Now, here's the thing. There's probably not a lot of damage that can happen in your life if you wait 31 minutes to go swimming after you've eaten or, you know, you, you, you made sure you didn't swallow the chewing gum or sit too close to the television screen. If you decided to stay in the shallow end of God's big swimming pool, probably no real damage, right? You just feel a little bit silly that you bought into the lie. But there are bigger lies. There are bigger lies that bring real harm. And some of those are, God doesn't love me. God won't forgive me for what I've done. On the other end, for some of us, you're believing the lie that God's not serious about what he says. God wants me happy. God wants me happy. And you don't have to do what he says in his word because he wants you happy. And we believe lies and they bring great damage to us. Jesus, the teacher, says, come to me and learn from me and I'll give you rest. And I'll replace the lies that you're believing with my truth. I want to close this morning just reading an excerpt. It's related to us following Jesus as a teacher. I've taught this before, and I want to mention it again. Scripture doesn't talk about becoming a Christian, becoming a Christian, becoming a Christian. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, it never does, but 49 times it invites you to be a disciple of Jesus. Christian is losing its meaning, isn't it? It's really losing its impact, but Jesus uh, says, become disciples. In fact, I'm giving you the authority to go make disciples. I'm sending you to the ends of the earth to make disciples. That's the authority that I'm giving you. And Jesus said 40 times, 49 times through Matthew, disciple, student, apprentice is the translation there that we would learn from him. The word disciple reminds us that Jesus wanted not just believers who would pray and go to church, but students who would imbibe his words and seek to relate to them, relate them to everyday life. I think we can safely conclude that the historical Jesus would want to ask modern disciples a series of uncomfortable questions. Do you reflect on what I said about marriage and sex and allow that to shape you how you think in our sexually loaded society? Do you mull over what I said about clothes, food, and the body, the obsession of a pagan culture, and try to apply this to modern living? Do you ponder my teaching on poverty and wealth and factor that into your household budget? Do you recall how I urge you to pray and make that part of your rhythm? Do you contemplate my sayings on divine forgiveness and soak them up for yourself and body them towards others? Have you learned what I meant by love your neighbor as yourself and tried to express that in all the radical ways that I have described? Take a quick look at this man. Tell me who this is. Mr. Rogers, Fred, wearing the blue sweater. 
Mr. Rogers, most of you know, had a soft voice and a warm, gentle tone. He was a, a guy of comfort. He wanted to bring comfort. Sometimes, can I tell you, what's what you want? What you want is not what you need. And sometimes we want this just to be Jesus. Never asking something uncomfortable from us, only comforting us and only soothing us. But sometimes you don't need a blue sweater, you need a blue face. You need William Wallace. You need a guy to bring it. You need a guy to growl. And that's what we see in the teacher Jesus. He forgave and he extended grace to Peter who denied him, to a woman who had multiple husbands who was living in adultery. We see Jesus providing comfort And there are times when we see Jesus overturning the temple because of the money changers and issuing woe upon woe in Matthew 23 to people that were doing things for religious show and spectacle, who were putting burdens on other people. And we see in Jesus kindness and firmness. And I ask you today, what do you need? What do you need? And in love, I want to say to you what Jesus might have for you today doesn't seem like kindness. It might be firmness. He might have a blue face, not a blue sweater today. It may be courage, not comfort, that he's speaking to you. I want to ask our team to come up as we close. If you would bow with me. Would you, where you are, for just a moment, ask God, to reveal to you who is teaching you. What's really shaping you? What ideas are you letting in? What are you soaking up? What are you gazing at? Who are you wanting to emulate? And where's it getting you? This provocative, shocking, master teacher who astonished then can astonish now. Maybe it's comfort that you need today. Jesus gives. But maybe it's courage. Maybe it's the firmness of a word of truth. And something that you need to act on. Test him. His word is true. It's ageless. It's penetrating. He's the point. Would you stand? Father, bless this time as we sing and as we pray. With open hearts and over altars. Lord, be honored in this time. We're about to go. And God, I pray that we would give you our best in this moment. This is our prayer in you. You come today if we can pray for you. It would be an honor. Uh, Be courageous enough to take a few steps and let us pray for you.